I'm Joe Dante. Legendary director Joe Dante. And I'm Josh Olson. Oscar-nominated screenwriter Josh Olson. And nobody loves movies as much as we do. Nobody's sane. And we have a podcast. Each episode, we track down other filmmakers, comedians, rock stars, authors, and artists, and talk to them about movies. But not about their movies. Everybody does that. We talk to them about the movies they love and the movies that have, well... Made them who they are. Which is why we call our show The Movies That Made Me. From legendary giants to this year's Oscar winners. We know them all and we've seen them all. So check out The Movies That Made Me, the movie lovers podcast. Available everywhere you find good podcasts. Well, actually, it's, a, it's available wherever you find podcasts, even the bad ones. But ours is really good. That's the idea. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, and I am here. I'm Drew Taylor. I should let everybody know that. And I'm here with Charles Hood once again, now and forever. How you feeling, Charles? I don't know if did I have I committed for forever. Yes, you have. <laughs> Let me just do the math on that one. And I know yes. I signed a contract. I didn't realize that it was forever. Well, okay. it's not forever for the show. It's just forever with me. Yeah, look, if I'm going to do a show with anyone forever, it's going to be you, Drew. Okay, I love that. I love that. I appreciate that. <laughs> and we are so thrilled to be back, right? Because we've got David Marconi Part 2. We do have David Marconi Part 2. And uh, yeah, you know, our uh, previous episode that we did on our old show was about a rewrite by Michael Tolkien. Um, and that rewrite was of this script that David Marconi wrote that he talks about in today's episode. So, yeah, you know, it was for Oliver Stone's Mission Impossible 2, and we love uh, everything that David told us. He had some great stories and everything. But before we get into this interview, uh, I wanted to bring up something that came up in the news, Drew, that I felt like it was worth us discussing. Oh, uh, did you see this article about, I don't know if we actually talked about this, but Variety had an article about how Joe Biden watched Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and became more worried about AI because he watched the movie? Yeah, I saw that. It was, I think, based on an uh, Associated Press article, and I think oh, okay. it was one of his one of his chiefs of staff or one of his press secretaries or something had this great line where he said... If he wasn't worried about AI before watching Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, he was after watching Mission Impossible Dead <laughs> Reckoning. And yeah, I think, you know, I think that that's great. I think that, you know, yeah. the entity is doing its job. It's scaring the hell out of people. Yeah. And, and anyone out there who tries to argue that these movies don't influence culture. I mean, I'm sorry. Look at this right here. The president of the United States is watching it and, uh, and changing, uh, you know 
policy <laughs> to make sure <laughs> yeah, that we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're covered here. I mean, and, I, and I'm glad that you, my, when I watched the movie, it made, it does make me nervous. You know, there's a yeah. lot of things going on in, in the world and the news where it's like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried. So this is good. I'm glad that, you know, Hey, McCory and company, they're 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 doing God's work here. They're making sure that we're covered. They really are. Yeah, I think it was like they showed Biden like a fake video of him, and that really freaked him out. And then he watched Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning at Camp David, and that's and then he got even more stressed out. So yeah, what a, what a great story. Um, yeah, and proof that these movies really do have an have an impact on people. So yeah. I hope they had a good sound system for him. You know, I hope it was like top notch quality across the board. I assume they got yes. a pretty good system there for the president. Yeah. If anybody knows what the setup is like at Camp David, please let us know. We'd like to see pictures or just read descriptions <laughs> of that. I think that's a new goal for us. Maybe to get invited to Camp David to watch a movie, a Mission Impossible movie in particular, if possible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see who the president is in a couple of years. Maybe we don't want that. But uh, yeah, that would be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, how amazing is it that they um, they pulled that off? It's pretty pretty wild. Yeah. Yes. Very cool. Uh, so I get, I think that's it for me. So we we can uh, you know we can get into the interview now. I just had to bring it up. That's all. You had to bring it up. I have to remind people too, Charles, that if you don't have a movie theater at your house like Camp David, please. <laughs> Watch Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. However, you can. It's available on all platforms, including on digital for digital download, DVD, Blu-ray, 4K Blu-ray. We got our 4K copies. We love them. We got the special um, Steelbook version, which is gorgeous and has some great special features. Yes, that red cover. Yeah, a little red cover with the train going. Oh, it's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. And if you need to catch up on the movies, obviously you can watch all six of the original Mission Impossible movies right now on Paramount+. Plus. So just wanted to tell that to people, Charles. Just get, clear the air. Get it out of the way. Yes. Before we get into this interview. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, then uh, here we go. Let's, let's uh, talk more with David Marconi. Great. I'm just curious, were you like a big techie? You're writing all these scripts about all this sort of super high tech. Was this all imaginative or did like what was? No, no. When I when I got I remember when I got hired to do Enemy of the State, I, I went and I met with Lucas Foster and behind him was this big poster of, you know, north by northwest of the photo of Cary Grant being chased by the airplane through the, you know, cornfield or whatever that thing was. And it was huge. And I was, I was looking at it and he goes, David, we want to do a movie about a guy who, who gets, you know, taken part electronically. We don't have a story, but, you know, you can come up with a story and, and then come back to us. I said, okay. So I went and I started to research um, about that. And I found a book uh, that James Bamford wrote called The Puzzle Palace. He wrote this book in like, I think about 1983. And it was based on stuff that he studied. I mean, research he'd done, I mean, since like the 70s. And, you know, you start reading about, you know, it's all about the uh, National Security Agency. And so I started, you know, diving into that. And I go, my God, nobody's even heard of these people. Their nickname was called No Such Agency. So I started, you know, diving into this tech world and, they, you know, flew me to meet with different types of people that were involved in 
the internet and creating the internet, various people at DARPA. You know, I met Senator Patrick Leahy, who was involved in privacy issues and stuff. And I really, you know, they flew me all over the place to, you know, interview people. And I started to get, you know, involved in all of this, you know, tech. It's very, but I was, I was kind of a non-tech person, but I, I'm kind of good at seeing and piecing together things, you know, like being a critical thinker and saying, well, if this is possible, then this is possible, then this is possible. You know, I can kind of like connect the dots, which is kind of what I did, you know, for Enemy of the State. And I remember when I was writing that and, and, and the movie came out, everybody would say, ah, you know, you know, a pretty good, you know, Hollywood yarn, but, you know, not based on anything, you know, that's real or reality. And I knew you know, having done all the research and interviewed people, I, I knew that wasn't true. And it, it was all based on, you know, what they, their, their, their capabilities were way beyond what the average person thought or believed. Um, and so I would tell people what I knew and they looked at me like I was wearing you know, some kind of tin hat and smoking like really good weed. And, you know, they thought I was just, you know, a crazy person. And it wasn't really until Snowden came out and, confirmed everything in a big way what i was talking about in the movie that people realized that you know everything in that movie was actually true so as far as the technology goes for me it was just kind of a, a path that i went on that on uh, a rabbit hole that i started to go down and then you know after that movie uh and once enemy of the state came out um Fox, you know, and Peter Rice over there approached me they wanted me to do a movie called ww3.com which was a story about um, cyber terrorism that came to the United States. So because I had all this information already about enemy of the state in my head and the AI stuff in my head from MI2, I said, yeah, I can, I can do this. This is pretty easy. I, I, know, I know what's going on and I know how to put together a team that would come in and what they would do and what they would attack. They'd go after, you know, the in infrastructure. So they took that, you know, I mean, it was really kind of, again, it was a heavy kind of hitting, you know, political film. And then they, you know, turned it into this kind of thing for Die Hard. And I was like, oh, boy. Yeah, but I, listen, I'm glad they made it. I'm glad it, 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 it actually you know, found a, a rebirth as a, you know, Die Hard movie. But it's kind of not the hard hitting, you know, political thriller that, that I wrote. It, it kind of got, you know, cartoonized and. Right. You know, anyways, I, 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 it's hard to complain that, you know, because they made a successful movie out of it, but it, it wasn't my vision of what the picture would have been. But you were so, you were making these kind of high tech thrillers for so long. And I saw that you sold a, a similar kind of script for Chris Rock, that you were working on other projects sort of in the same milieu. So, yeah. You went from being, you didn't know anything about it to now you are the. <laughs> the preeminent screenwriter on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's people that now know a lot more about it than I do, but it's like I I you know, I I'm kind of going down, you know, different paths now as far as, you know, what I'm researching and you know, I'm always looking for you know, the problem is is, you know, all these conspiracies I research turn out to be true. So that's that's the problem. <laughs> because a lot of the things uh you know, it, I mean, it's we live in we certainly live in interesting times. But I think, you know, I'm able to find a voice instead of instead of lecturing people and doing all that, I, I can find a way to entertain them and still kind of insert a little, you know, story, you know, a little kind of personal viewpoint 
into my you know vision of of the world. I remember when I did uh, after Enemy of the State, uh, the, the Department of Defense asked me to come in and, and speak to them. So I, they said we want you to put together a presentation and you know a speech and do an audio visual thing. Can you can you do that for us? I said all right, sure, I can do that. Fine, why not? So I I put together this whole thing and I went and I there were a room about. I mean, they were having some kind of big convention and I was one of the guest speakers and there was a room about 250, 300, you know, spooks and people from the NSA and all these people there. And they didn't really what they were interested in knowing is how I figured out what I knew (laughs) more than anything else. (laughs) So it was like, how did this guy, how did this like, you know, guy, you know, from film school figure out all this stuff? And I go, well, it was like Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condor. I read books. You know, I, I, you read books and the information is there. I mean, you know, the thing about it is, is, you know, anybody in intelligence or anybody, you know, they all knew that the, the capabilities of, uh, I mean, enemy of the state wasn't anything new for any of them. I mean, you read about what they were doing, you know, at the height of the Cold War. I mean, in 1946, they were they were opening up every piece of mail that was coming from East Germany and taking it into a big warehouse and scanning it for for microdots. I mean, can you imagine that? The the amount of resources and people that would take to do that? So and that was in 1946. So you can imagine where the, where the capabilities are now and they're, you know, certainly two to three generations ahead of anything that's, you know, available, you know, on the on the marketplace. So where are they? What are they doing? Right. You know, they they have a lot of, you know, very attractive toys that they can answer, you know, offer some of these, you know, hackers. They say, you know, you want to be a white hat or a black hat, you know, come over to our side and we'll give you more toys you could ever dream of. And it becomes very, you know, when I went over there and I met a lot of these guys, they were very, you know, they were very focused on the mission and they were very kind of patriotic. You didn't get a sense that any of them were, you know, nasty or bad in any way, shape or form. But at the same time, they were very kind of myopic as far as what they did. They saw just their little specific mission, and and that was it. A lot of them didn't really have the, the the bigger picture as to where this all was going. I mean, Snowden certainly did, but um, you know, he uh, he made a choice, and he went, you know, he took his information, and off he went. Right. While you were over there, were you trying to get some info for the mission script? You were like, so guys. If you were going to space. Yeah. I mean, every time I was going or, or talking to these people, I would, you know, ask, is this possible? If that's possible, you know, and I, and I knew, you know, some, some of the things they were doing, but these were all black programs. And so they would just kind of look at you and they'd roll your eyes, roll their eyes. And, you know, either they knew and they didn't, they didn't want to talk about it or they didn't know. And they thought I was nuts. <laughs> you know, so but when you when you when you ask them about you know classified programs, they're they're not going to tell you about them, right? <laughs> I, I remember when I when I wrote the the opening of ww3.com, I I had a whole scene that takes place in the Aurora, which which finally finally made its appearance in the um, in uh, Top Gun Maverick, but I wrote a scene with that plane like in nineteen you know in in two thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what that plane's been flying, you know, since probably 19, you know, 85, late, late 90s. I know people that have seen that plane flying, but that's existing technology. I mean, that and, you know, when they retire the F-117, you know, because it's old technology, you got to say, all right, if they're retiring that, what's what's online? What are they actually flying? <laughs> 
Right. You know, Ben Rich, Ben Rich had a very, you know, powerful statement that he delivered to UCLA. He said, you know, we now have the ability to take ET home, but it would take an act of God for us to ever release that information. <laughs> David, how have you not done a script with Oliver Stone. Yeah. I mean, just listening to this, it's like, hello, we got to get this. We got to make this happen. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I love Oliver and I love his mind. I mean, for, for me, you know, one of the best movies ever made was JFK. And that, that, that movie, he is, I mean, we were flying around on this, you know, plane on a Warner Brothers plane and he would always be sitting in the back and he'd be like, you know, like this working on his script. Like we were going to sound like Paul Wagner and I were going to sound steal his ideas, but, he always carry around these letters and, you know, that people would write him about that movie. And he, for him, it's, you know, it really, he really took that movie to heart. I mean, I, I think it was one of the bravest movies ever made, you know, in, in, in America. I, I wish Warner Brothers would, would make more movies that had meat to it. I mean, what happened to the beautiful movies that were made in the 70s and the 80s? back with more from David Marconi after the break. Hi, I'm Joe Dante. Legendary director Joe Dante. And I'm Josh Olson. Oscar-nominated screenwriter Josh Olson. And nobody loves movies as much as we do. Nobody's sane. And we have a podcast. Each episode, we track down other filmmakers, comedians, rock stars, authors, and artists, and talk to them about movies. But not about their movies. Everybody does that. We talk to them about the movies they love and the movies that have, well... Made them who they are. Which is why we call our show The Movies That Made Me. From legendary giants to this year's Oscar winners. We know them all and we've seen them all. So check out The Movies That Made Me, the Movie Lovers Podcast. Available everywhere you find good podcasts. Well, actually, it's, a, it's available wherever you find podcasts, even the bad ones. But ours is really good. That's the idea. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, Five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Did they come back to you after Tolkien, or were you brought i mean where did the discussion kind of end with mission impossible 2 it ended where they said we were bringing in michael <laughs> and that's it <laughs> you said yeah. okay goodbye <laughs> thank <Yeah>. you <laughs> get, get your box of stuff <laughs> see and, and uh close the door behind you you know <laughs> no it was uh i i wish them the best and uh you know at the end of the day you know they they went with a new director and a whole new approach so um I was looking for something original. And again, I had just written, I had just, I got offered another movie prior to that, a movie called, you know, Lingo, which was a kind of very interesting book about um, a computer that becomes sentient and, you know, how it then gets into, you know, the mainframes and everything. And, you know, you had also Forb in the Colossus project. So this wasn't really a fresh new idea. But it was, um, you know, the, the idea of singularity and um, all of that was being talked about, you know, and people were talking about how computers could, you know, how AI could eventually become, 
you know, sentiment and the idea of singularity and at what moment that would occur. And again, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is impossible. This is garbage. This will never happen. And sure enough, now we're there. So now people aren't talking about it's not possible. They're saying more like, well, when is it going to occur or has it occurred already? Right. Well, so can you talk about the like, so you and Oliver, like, was it the two of you coming together, like to work for a a period of time to put together this story? Or, you know, how how did that process begin? And and how, how, how involved was Tom in that process as well? Tom was pretty much out of it. Tom was off doing um, Eyes Wide Shut. Right. So was it like you and Oliver in a room hashing out the the plot? Myself and Oliver. Oliver would give me some notes. I'd come in and discuss stuff with him. And then he'd say, go off and write it. And then I'd come back and discuss, you know, I'd I'd write it. And then I'd come back and, you know, it wasn't Oliver and I sitting in a room writing together. Right. It was him and I discussing stuff and then me going off and, you know, doing the lifting. Because he was he was doing other projects at the time, you know, writing other things. Um, but this was certainly, you know, important for him. Uh, Paula Wagner was was very much involved. She was, you know, Tom's producing partner. Right. And uh, along with the executives that she had working for her at Cruz Wagner over at Paramount, they were all involved. So I was utilizing them on a day to day basis for, you know, the project. Um, and then Oliver, and then lastly, you know, Tom, who was, you know, very much, you know, involved in Eyes Wide Shut and not really paying that much attention to what it was that, you know, Oliver and I were doing. Do you remember how many drafts you did? I probably did two drafts. Do you, and do you remember, like, was it a pretty big shift between the first and second or was it? No. No. Not really. No, I, 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 I stuck with the program and then. And then maybe Tom might have read it at that point, and he said, "You know, where's the team? You know, I want Luca Thur, I want da 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 da." And then they probably brought in. I would imagine they brought in Tolkien at that point. But Oliver was already kind of scratching his head, going, "You know, I don't want to, you know, make the Saint Part Two, you know, and I, I don't necessarily want to make the movie, you know, that that Tom wants to make." Right. I think ultimately that that's what it came down to. Tom really wanted a, a sequel with the team and the whole thing. Tom had a clear vision as to what he wanted with Mission Impossible to be at that time. Whereas Oliver was really wanted to do a character-driven drama, the story of Ethan Hunt and, you know, his background, how he became who he was. And against that, you know, we had a whole AI thing, which was a little ahead of the time, a little ahead of the curve at the time. You know, now it's you're finally, you know, hitting the screen and it's it's um, very well accepted. But back then, right, um, I was writing about something that people weren't necessarily, you know, believing. But at the same time, you know, it's it was certainly within the realm of possibility. You had 2001. That was certainly a successful movie. You had uh, uh, Terminator, which I think had come out. Yeah. You had the For- the Forbin Project, which came out, I think, in the 70s, which was a brilliant movie. Have you ever seen that? No. Yeah, Colossus, the Forbin Project? Yes. I haven't seen that. No. Yes. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, you'll, you'll see, you know, that, that also probably has a lot of references in, you know, the current Mission Impossible. Right. The Tolkien draft, like the whole large portion of the back half is like kind of in Ethan's head, sort of, because the like supercomputer has he's strapped into it. And was there any element of that in your script at all of, of, of like that kind of trickery 
No, my script was, you know, much more kind of action set pieces. With a climax in space, right? Yes, climax in space. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you know what that was? Like what the what the climax was? That, that like what was the was the big action set piece there in that finale? Cuz that's so different from what we read. Yeah, it's it, it's a big action set piece and it's kind of like uh I'd have to, you know, reread the, the the draft and, you know. We're ready to go to your storage locker. We'll digitize everything. You don't have to lug anything back to Italy. So I think it would be really a, a fruitful adventure if we got in there. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we can dig. I, I, we will, we'll we dig. can revisit all this. I'm happy to find the draft. Yeah. And um, and then I can watch the movie. And then, you know, maybe after the second movie or the uh, Mission Impossible 8 Yes. Then we can really discuss it in, in greater detail. Oh, we would love that. Well, you you were you were working with Michael Mann, and then he made a hacker type That's right. movie. Yeah, yeah, I did Black Hat. Yeah, yeah. Was that based on your conversations? I mean, I know no, your, your project was something different, but yeah, no, that was uh, I was doing a movie about you know the DEA operations in Southeast Asia, completely different type of situation. Uh, Charles has to ask about Jackie Chan with anyone involved in any Jackie Chan projects. So I think I need to That's true. give Charles that room right now. Uh, yes, I am a giant Jackie Chan fan. I have my Armor of God poster back here. Uh, oh, a, a French Armor of God poster back here. So I'm just curious, yeah, well, how, how, how involved were you with Jackie? In the, and how, when did he get involved in, in The Foreigner? Ah, okay. Well, I wrote, um, it was originally based on a book called The Chinaman. And I wrote that to direct. And um, I was going to do that after I, I'd, I'd done this movie for Europa Corps. I directed it. It was called Intersections, or here in America, it was called uh, Collision. Um, it was shot in the desert of Morocco. And this was going to be my, my third picture. And I came back, and this uh, I ran into a friend at the Soho House. And she said, well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I got this movie that I'm trying to put together uh, i'm trying to cast right now and she goes let me read it and she read it she goes well let me, can i get this to somebody who knows jackie chan so i said sure so she got it over to jackie chan's people he read it and he goes all right i want to make this movie so i met with jackie and i met with his stunt team and they they were all on board ready to you know go forward and, and make the movie and i said this is fantastic and then um I got agented, you know, Jackie's agent, you know, after a week or two came up, he goes, ah, you know, Jackie really, he loves the movie, but he only wants to make it with an A-list director. I go, okay, here we go. I mean, I've been down this road before. So um, I go, I go, is this Jackie talking or is it you talking or a combination of both? He goes, no, it's all Jackie. So I go, boy. So then I brought in another producer I knew who had done the Rush Hour series. I go, um, Arthur. You know, you got to help me on this. You got to help me get around, you know, this agent, you know, um, he's agenting me and he's trying to get me off my movie. So he couldn't do it, but he attached himself to became the foreigner nonetheless. And uh, so he now got himself attached to the project. And then um, through his efforts and another effort, they brought in Martin Campbell. Oh, but before that happened, uh, I said, all right, well, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go to China. I met with Chow Young Fat, Donnie Yen, and Andy Lau. Wow. They said all all of them said, you know, David, we'll support you. We'll make this movie with you. Let's go forward and do it together. I go, okay, fantastic. So I came back and 
The main producer, a guy named Wayne Godfrey, who brought me the book originally, said, David, I, you know, I love all those guys, but I really want to make the bigger movie with Jackie. And I said, okay, Wayne, well, you know the deal. And the deal was, is if I didn't direct the movie, I would, you know, get my directing fee as, as a producer, which then is what, you know, I did. I said, I'm not going to stand in your way because that's unfair. We put a lot of hard work into this. And Jackie Chan is certainly, uh, you know, worth, you know, fighting for. So then uh, with Jackie involved, we then got Martin Campbell. And then Martin and I rolled up our sleeves and I did a, you know, a couple drafts for him. Uh, great man to work with. And uh, we then we went off and did it. And I was on the set all the time helping Martin with, you know, tweaks and anything else I could do to, you know, make sure that the movie, you know, turned out according to the way he wanted it. And we all both wanted it. It was, uh, he was, uh, we had a very good working relationship, Martin and I. That's great. The movie turned out so well. And Jackie too. What did, what did you? Jackie showed up. He, he, you know, he had his whole stunt team. He had probably, he probably has like eight or nine people yeah. that do the stunts for him. One guy does, you know, close-ups. One guy does flips. One guy does wire work. And then, you know, Jackie does, you know, some of the work as well, but he, he has eight of his own guys that he, he trusts and knows and, and does, you know, movie after movie with. And you're saying they're doubling him now. They double him. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. It's funny. He was the guy who did all his own stunts and now, and now he's got a team of guys who stand in for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he, he would, he would do some stunts. I mean, he did some wire work and some falls, but I mean, certain things, you know, he's, he's getting pretty old. He, he, yeah. He doesn't want to do this stuff anymore. He's not like Tom Cruise. <laughs> who's, I mean, I've watched those things with him on the motorcycle. I was like, wow, that's, that's impressive. Well, Jackie used to do all that stuff, but I think he beat himself up enough. He got a lot of serious, uh, you know, almost killed himself a few times with some of those stunts when he was younger. Yeah. You know, and you, when you got a whole movie, you're hinging around the guy. You want to kind of protect him a little bit. <laughs> he's he's yeah. gotten too many concussions at this point. Yeah. He's just got a, yeah. you know, he's got a he's hole in his head. I think he's broken like all the bones in his body. It's a lot. Yeah. He, but he's he was he's a lovely man and very, you know, attentive to the to the material. Pierce was great. Um, uh, it was a, it was a very good experience working on that movie with them. And I really enjoyed it. And I, and I was happy the way it, the way it turned out. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that that score. I love the music in that movie too. Yeah, it was the guy that did uh, Martinez. Yeah, Soderbergh's guy, Cliff Martinez. Yeah, he did. Uh, he who also did Drive, which I thought was an excellent yeah score as well. He was he created a very kind of haunting, eerie kind of vibe for it. Um, and it was, um, I, I was, I was happy with that picture. You know, it's you never know what you're going to get with some of these movies, but they kept me involved. And, you know, again, because of the relationship I had with Martin, I'm doing another another project with him once the strike is over. But we'll we'll see, you know. We'll be back with more from David Marconi after the break. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game, headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. 
Well, we know you haven't seen the newest mission, but have you seen the other ones? Yeah, I enjoy them. Do you? Would you? Could you give us a, a ranking of your favorites? Well, um, I'd rather not at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Wow. Okay. That's fair. not even a favorite. Um, I'd have to think. Let me think about that. I will get back to you on that. Okay. Well, the other question, you know, we are obsessed with Tom Cruise's hair. Did you have an idea of what his hair was going to look like in your version of Mission Impossible 2? Because in no. the version that was made, it's very long. You know, <laughs> no. So. Okay. But I, 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 I did. The first time I worked with Tom, I was right out of film school, and I was working on The Outsiders. Oh, wow. And I remember there, he was one of, you know, he was one of the gang, the Pony Boy. Yeah. And we, so I... I mean, we were all, all kids then. We had a lot of, we had the, Ralph Macchio was in that and Patrick Swayze and all those guys went on to, you know, become big movie stars. That was, uh, so I was right out of film school and I was Francis's assistant on that picture with this whole electronic cinema. So for me, that was kind of like my grad school after USC. Wow. It was a lot of fun. Not too shabby, a grad school. There. He was a great man. He's a great man to work with, Francis. So I, I really had a great. I've been very fortunate with some of these directors I've been able to work with, and you know, I've I've considered, you know, I've been very blessed in that in that way. Well, we've been very blessed with you spending time talking about a script that you wrote many years ago, and don't remember that well. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. We will definitely have to follow up with a more in depth forensic look at your your screenplay but at least i could give you the genesis as to how it happened yes no we really appreciate that and yeah if you ever need any help going through that storage locker we're always around oh i've got a lot of interesting (laughs) a lot of interesting bodies and bones in that locker so we we we're ready we're ready well it was a pleasure to meet both of you really yeah no it was a thrill thank you so much for chatting and we'll we'll talk very soon i'm sure okay okay thanks I loved, I don't think I mentioned this in the last episode, but I loved how he, what did he say? He was, he was going to have someone's life digitally disassembled or something. Oh yeah. That was the, the, the pitch for him was to like write a movie about someone who's gets electronic, what is it? Electronically destroyed or whose life gets electronically torn apart or something like that. Uh, Yeah. Uh, that that was for Enemy of the State, right? Is that what Enemy of the State ended up being? Yeah, I, I think that was what Enemy of the State ended yeah. up being. Yeah, I mean, it, man, it just it would have been great to see him write an Oliver Stone movie because he seems so perfectly suited for Stone. But it just it just obviously you know it wasn't right for Mission Impossible, obviously. Yeah. Well, you know, they're both alive and they're both working, so I guess it's still still possible. Yeah, maybe we could come back, circle back for Mission Impossible Nine. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Um, and it, you know, it's a short story that he told about the Michael Mann movie that wasn't Black Cat, but that was cool to hear that he, I mean, it's just surprising to me because I was like, oh, maybe that movie, whatever he was doing with Michael Mann turned into Black Cat, but it wasn't because Black Cat seems like it would fit in with Marconi's filmography. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it seems like Michael Mann develops a lot of things that don't end up happening, but right. yeah, I mean, I, as a writer, I would be very sort of like proud to even have a project kind of 
catch his eye and yeah you know even even for a fleeting moment michael mann want to make it that seems really cool to me yeah yeah would be awesome uh and also awesome to hear the story of the foreigner which is a movie we both love and it's great to hear about jackie chan and martin campbell uh it's a great movie and uh yeah it's crazy that jackie chan now has a team of stunt guys who stand in for him because, you know, I got hooked on Jackie Chan because he was the guy who did all his own stunts. That was how he was advertised in the Rumble in the Bronx trailer when I was like 12 years old and it blew me away. And now it's Tom Cruise who has taken up that mantle. And Jackie now has moved to the point of having a team of stunt guys who stand in for him now. It's kind of sad, but I know he's getting up there. He's older. He's older. I think that maybe they're also his guys just he, he we are we knew that he had a team of guys that always worked with him. So maybe they're just helping out in a different capacity these days. Yeah. He also like <laughs> just broke so many bones and destroyed his whole body <laughs> for, for decades. And so I don't blame him for now being like, all right, you go in there for me now and take that kick, please. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's not sliding down, you know, light fixtures or anything anymore. It's too, too much. It's too much. Um, but yeah, I guess that's that's all I've got. You know, it was great to talk to David, and uh, we've got more great stuff on the way. Uh, nothing we can announce yet, but we're very excited. We got a couple things in the works, and just waiting to hear back on that. That's all we can say. And we've got some fun things coming up over the holidays too. That's we're going to be taking a little bit of a break, but we are going to be. Can we announce it, Drew? What, what we're doing? Why we, don't we announce it? I don't care. So yeah, we've we've gotten our back catalog cleared. So we're going to be bringing back some of our old interviews for you to listen to on the main feed here, and uh, we're very excited about that. So uh, can't wait to do that. Uh, and so yeah, that's coming up. Great. Well, Charles, can I just uh, you know t- take the floor for a minute? I got some I got some stuff to talk about. Of course. The floor, the floor is yours. Oh, thank God. So <laughs> there will be new episodes of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast every Tuesday, even if when they, you know, as Charles said, we're going to have some some older ones creep back into the feed as well. So look forward to that coming up. And please make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Light the Fuse pod. On Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And I think that's it. Please let us know what you want and what you want to hear. I mean, we got David because he reached out to us after finding the uh, older episode and said, hey, let's talk. Let's do a show. Or he didn't say that. I think we suggested it. But (laughs) whatever you, you want to hear, whoever you want us to talk to, please let us know. And we will try to make that happen. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, so we'll see everybody next week, I guess, Charles. Yeah, thank you all so much. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. Our supervising producer is Abby Smith. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Hi, I'm
I'm Joe Dante. Legendary director Joe Dante. And I'm Josh Olson. Oscar-nominated screenwriter Josh Olson. And nobody loves movies as much as we do. Nobody's sane. And we have a podcast. Each episode, we track down other filmmakers, comedians, rock stars, authors, and artists, and talk to them about movies. But not about their movies. Everybody does that. We talk to them about the movies they love and the movies that have, well... Made them who they are. Which is why we call our show The Movies That Made Me. From legendary giants to this year's Oscar winners. We know them all and we've seen them all. So check out The Movies That Made Me, the movie lovers podcast. Available everywhere you find good podcasts. Well, actually, it's, a, it's available wherever you find podcasts, even the bad ones. But ours is really good. That's the idea.